in the beninging in the in the bini in the beninging yeah in the in in, uh, in the listen properly in in the beninging yeah in 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 the beninging in the beninging in 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 the beginning all right and welcome to another episode of the podcast challenging the traditions of men i think i accidentally cut off the beginning of that clip which is unfortunate because i really enjoy that clip and i hope you guys do too i don't think we could have uh, luckily stumbled upon a better way to introduce uh, the topics that we've been working on especially the latest ones specifically dealing with in the beginning uh, we're going to do a quick review here as we want to move forward and keep this understanding that we've established in the last uh, conversation how we saw the word in the beginning which might have originally by you know popular view seen the beginning of the universe and such but we saw by going through the scripture and comparing that phrase when we uh, wanted to take a more deep a more uh, realistic look from the biblical perspective and how we compared that to a phrase say, from our perspective today maybe saying once upon a time and expecting a fairy tale well by putting a little bit of work into it, we saw there is an expectation that we, when we see that in the beginning, just as we do with Once Upon a Time, and that that in the beginning is referring to that of a nation, a king, some kind of king succession, or the beginning of a king's reign. And we saw that being associated all the way from Genesis through the law and the prophets. We did also take a quick peek looking at the New Testament and how uh, the word Rashith, the in the beginning, has transitioned also that time period of the 1500 years of writing with the introduction and comparison to Mark 1 in Jeremiah. We came to understand that just looking at the prime narrative of Jesus himself coming, obviously that's playing a, a very heavy weight to this idea of the in the beginning being the start of a nation or a kingdom with Jesus himself. We read, you know, in John 18, 37, saying, uh, are you a king with Pilate questioning him and Jesus saying, I am a king. That's what I came into this world for. John 12, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey in verse 15. Matthew in 3, 1 and Matthew 4, 17, twice we hear once from John the Baptist, once from Jesus talking about that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see this theme of Jesus being the king and language surrounding him, which actually duplicated that Rashith in the Greek equivalent word archaic. We saw how Mark wrote his introduction to Jesus and the message that he was bringing forth in the same manner and duplicated from the same manner as Jeremiah in 26.1. And that's where we actually find in 26.1 with Jeremiah that connection to Genesis 1 with the exact wording in the beginning of the reign of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as we see duplicated with Jeremiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So it's a very interesting transition looking into the New Testament because the first thing we see comparative to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament language, is that same theme of a new king coming, a new kingdom being established, all circling around the same word in the beginning. 
<coughs> All right, so that's where we left off last time. And we went through a lot of scriptures to come to grips with uh, why these words and how these words have been used to establish this. And now what we're going to do is take a look at Jesus, the king, this new coming king, and establish this narrative around uh, the Rashid, the beginning or the archaic of Jesus and the kingdom of God being at hand. So for, first of all, that remember, what is the definition of Rashid? So this is just going to be a quick memory be, uh, reminder, because then we're going to compare that also with the Greek. So just flipping back here. So what we get when we look at Rashid, we got, it means the beginning, the chief, as in like the chiefest, the foremost, the first fruit, the principal thing that which has the first in time, order, place, and rank. Well, when we compare that also to the Greek equivalent, we found that it was very similar. And what did we find? We find that the Greek word arche is the figuratively speaking, when it's used figuratively, says what comes first and therefore is chief, is foremost, has priority because it's ahead of the rest, it is preeminent. So we get the basic definitions of those words and we're going to take a look at how this is describing the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is coming and building in. So will or will not the conversations we had previously about Rashid, now that we saw it introduced by Mark in comparison with Jeremiah, we're going to take a look at this kingdom language and see if that's going to help us shed any more understandings about this association between the Rashid the RK, and the kingdom theme. So the first thing that we're going to point out, we're going to take a look at Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.10, because they say something for us that is just point blank so that we can get through the door and get going. So the first one we're going to stop is Revelation 1.6. Just got to flip to a couple extra ones here. So I have one six. Perfect. And we end up reading, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, and to him be the glory and dominion forever. So the people have been made a kingdom. How? Through Jesus Christ. We also see that same sentiment in Revelation 5.10. So when we want to take a look at, is Jesus coming to make a kingdom? Well, we have this statement that not only did he come to be a king, but he made his apostles, his converts, into that kingdom. We read in 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So they did get converted, and they did believe that they had been transformed into a new kingdom. And so what we're going to do is compare that language in, into uh, Colossians here with Paul to give us a good idea of what in the mind of this first century movement were they thinking about. So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 18. And we're going to take a listen to some of this language used to talk about this new kingdom that came and the language they use to describe this. And keep in mind that definition of Rashid, that first, the chief, the preeminent, the head overall. And what do we find when we start reading? Well, 
Let's take a look at verse 13 and start reading. So Colossians 1.13, and it says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image, and there's that language, <coughs> pardon me, there's that image language that we see in Genesis 5 with Adam being created in the image of God and then creating a son of his own in his own image. And here we have the beginning, in the beginning of the kingdom of Jesus, and we have Jesus being referred to as the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created. And we're going to take a look at it because it's a very interesting uh, statement. In verse 17, uh, or in verse yeah, 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the archa. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have to come. He will have, oh, this is kind of interesting way, so i got to just reread this, sorry so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He will have preeminence. So it's a very uh, interesting amount of language being used to describe here in Colossians 1.13 through 18. We're going to just slow this down. 1 through uh, 13. I want to point this out because we're going to be referencing this because it's got a lot of information that helps seize us straightforward comparing this kingdom language for it says in verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. So there's no doubt that that completely reinforces everything we're talking about in this narrative of Jesus coming as king. He has created them and made them into be a kingdom. And here we see Paul talking, absolutely, yeah, they've been transferred into the system. Well, then we read in verse 15 that Jesus is the image, so we have that creation language being duplicated from Genesis 1, the firstborn of all creation. And then we also see in verse 18, Jesus is the RK, the head, the Rashith, the chief, the preeminent one. He's the one that is made king. He is over all. He himself will have first place in everything. So it's interesting because Colossians 1, 13 through 18 is going out of its way in multiple ways to name Jesus to be the RK, the Rashid. And it literally says in verse 18, Jesus is the RK. Jesus is the beginning. So th that's got a, a lot of information in it, but it also tells us exactly the same information we've been hearing. Jesus is coming. He is the beginning. It's in the beginning of his kingdom, and he made a new kingdom of believers. Now, it's going to take a look at Revelation 19.13 to get a description of this kingdom. Because it, this language, will it, it, it clarifies itself as we, unfortunately, compared to the last uh, conversations, they were pretty dry. And this language is a little bit more developed. 19.13, but we do see that it's the same thing when we slow this down. So it says, and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And now he has the name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
1913, we see these titles given to Jesus. We also see a very interesting comparison. So in 1913, depending on which version you have here, it's interesting. We go down to verse 16, and it says clearly, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we see this because Jesus is now being called the Word of God. We now see this uh, on his robe. He has the title King of King and Lord of Lords. We see him being called the RK in Colossians. He is made head over all things. Well, we're going to take a quick journey back into Daniel chapter 2 because we're talking about the kingdom of God here. And this language is going to start making a lot more sense here because of the, well, we'll just see the context in which it's being used. So Daniel 2, 37. So when we read this, what we're reading is Daniel talking about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And we're going to actually see God giving Nebuchadnezzar the position of king of kings, just as we saw being given to Jesus in Revelation 19.13, and it's described as this. So this is Daniel chapter 2, 36 through 38. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the earth, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Okay, so now this is going to start rounding out some stuff here. Uh, that earlier stuff when we talk about describing Jesus' kingdom in Colossians, how he has been made... Uh, to be a king, that kind of stuff. That language actually is not as arbitrary now when we compare this and look at what we're seeing with Daniel because we still see that Rashid definition, that RK definition coming in that first, that chief, that preeminent, the head overall. And in Colossians 1, 13 through 18, we actually see it does say that Jesus is the RK, the beginning, the head and chief and preeminent. And what do we have here when we read Nebuchadnezzar being made king over the heavens and the earth? God's giving him that. Well, just like Revelation 19, 13, he gets the title. You, O king, are the king of kings. And just like Jesus, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory, you are the head of gold. Well, that's very interesting because we're going to compare that to First Chronicles. 29. We're just going a little bit more building this uh, picture backwards as opposed to our last lesson where we went forward in this. So it, we're seeing this unfold a lot better going this way in my opinion. So hopefully you guys are understanding where I'm going. I guess we'll find out here shortly. As uh, we take a quick look into 1 Chronicles, so 1 Chronicles 29.11, to see this language, this description and picture, which isn't just as straightforward as in the beginning was a kingdom, but it's having that same theme, that same uh, 
descriptive language that we're seeing with that actual definitions now of Rashid and RK, that chief, that eminent, that head overall. In fact, when we take a look at First Chronicles 29.11, we actually see David being, descri being described as well. So let's take a look there. And what do we read? I'll start at 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. This is again, First Chronicles 29.10. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the victory. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. So now here, interestingly, the same things that we saw being described as Jesus being made king over heaven and earth, we see the exact same language being used to describe Nebuchadnezzar when he received authority as Lord of Lord, King and Kings over the kingdom of heaven. And that's exactly what David uses for language to describe the kingdom that God rules over. That's actually a very fascinating picture because that's actually what we were reading in Mark 1, where this whole thing kind of tipped us into and trying to round this picture about this kingdom of heaven that Jesus was to inherit. For the claim of Matthew 3.1 was John the Baptist, was Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven has come. Matthew 4.17, Jesus himself said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Mark once said, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the time is fulfilled. Just as Jeremiah 26 one declared, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, the word came. And here we have this description of this Jesus Messiah coming as king, turning his people into this kingdom. And he received the same ordination as God with David. God with Nebuchadnezzar, and God now with Jesus. So this language is absolutely, even in this uh, language of, uh, we read in Colossians, things like dominion, darkness, light, the image, the, the preeminence, the head, all this language also duplicates the same language historically in the Old Testament about the establishment of the kingdom of heaven. So this does actually verify what Mark was claiming that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And what that really does for us is when we compare that to that Jeremiah uh, usage, that format that Mark copied, he's declaring the beginning of the reign of the Son of God who was given preeminence and the right to rule over the kingdom of heaven and earth. And that's the message of Jesus being associated to the in the beginning in that nation language and in that kingdom language. Now, I know this, this is a little bit uh, different of a lesson in the sense of this language is not as poignant, as dry as the in the beginning we did before. However, I hope it is clear that the kingdom of heaven language, even though it isn't that dry language, it is consistent. And it does back up that motif that the New Testament is bringing forward. And for us, I think that's good news in the sense of what we've been doing, because this does become now an example, a theme 
to the first aspect of that RK in the New Testament, which is, yeah, Jesus is a king who was to come. And not only was he just a, any old king, he was the king, the son of God, who was to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And this was declared to us by the apostles at the starts of their gospels themselves, and declared also in that same pattern of language that was handed down by the people who even coined and used that very term of in the beginning in the Bible. I hope that made some sense because I actually found this one a little bit difficult to express, trying to uh, connect that idea that Jesus is a king. He was supposed to come as a king. He was to establish and set up the kingdom of heaven. And that is all circulating around Rashid R.K., that picture of the in the beginning of that new kingdom. So I'm going to open up uh, the the floor here a little bit guys i, I want to again thank you all for uh, joining me um fortunately mike is not here with us this week he did a fantastic job and again we want to thank mike miano from the blue point bible church who sat down with us he was the, he's the pastor there and offered us some great help when we came to discussing last week that topic of in the beginning in the old testament and we got Tom back, so we have that education still with us, the graduate from the Masters of Divinity, and we, he keeps us honest, so we're glad to have Tom back. So we don't have to skip a beat, we can keep going. But now to the floor here, I'm going to ask you guys, we'll start opening up here and asking you uh, look up at Steve in the top right-hand corner, so I guess I get to pick on you again. Now that we're adding... And trying to, I'm trying to round out this picture in that context of the narrative of the Bible. The Messiah has now come. He's supposed to be inheriting the kingdom of God. I do believe that the scripture uh, text narrative of the New Testament does use that same language, all circulating around Rashid Arkay. And then just like we had last week, the direct references to it, but also, as I pointed out so far today, we get that other more not so poignantly dry language, but more descriptive stuff, getting back into that light and darkness, the animals, dominion, image, so more of those words. But that still, even in the New Testament, lines up with what we saw in the Old Testament. So I don't know, uh, where are you hearing from uh, today so far? Um, I'm hearing more of the same, honestly. It's making sense. I mean, as far as there seems to be a template, they seem to be using similar words. They are describing this kingdom. They are describing, you know, what's happening. And it's like, okay, yeah, it looks like this is how they just say it. Like when they, when somebody's in power and is running the show, this is what, this is how they describe it to people. Makes sense to me. Awesome. Okay, I'm glad that's getting it through because, I, like I said, I found it actually pretty difficult because it's one of those that seems very obvious, but I wanted to make sure that we could see that, like you said, and I think you put it very well, they definitely have an idea of how things should be expressed and they're following that pattern, and that's what I was trying to see if I could establish. So, awesome. I'm glad you could see that. Uh, next uh, in line here would be Leith. Now, what do you think? 
Like, do you see that same kind of patterning again? Or like, what are you hearing? Yeah, I'm hearing the same kind of pattern. And what happened, you know, there was a lot of verses thrown around um, last, uh, last episode. And what helped, I think, you know, since I'm a listener here as well as everybody else, I, I when, when Dallas is blowing through stuff, it seems like a good idea for me is just to write down these little things, all these little verses and stuff, you know, because in the last two episodes, you've thrown out probably uh, 20 or 30 different references and, and it's great. And so what's, what's helping me is just to write those down and reconfirm so that I can absorb it for myself. Um, and so, yeah, but the, the kingdom language is Rashith and RK is the, is the Greek version, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and just looking at both of those used in the Old and the New Testament, it's just more ammunition to be able to lean on more of the idea that um, this in the beginning, new kingdom, the transferring of a kingdom language is used for man king, uh, uh, kings who are men, um, Christ, um, David was describing God. So um, it looks like it's a, a common theme throughout. And uh, so it'll be cool to see what happens with it. Yeah, and I think that's a neat thing is, you know, and I was trying to get that across is we don't also just need to see that this kingdom was based upon that specific word in the beginning, even though in Colossians 1.18, it literally says Jesus is the RK. He is the beginning and the head, which is neat because Daniel, that's what they say when we look at uh, Nebuchadnezzar, they describe him with the kingdom being the power, the strength, the glory, and the head of gold just as with chronicles david is the yours is the power and the glory and the head overall so there's no doubt that the head the preeminence that place of and position of authority is just by definition what that rk is and we can see that yeah like that is a pattern that they obviously are sticking to and we're just seeing it being applied to the next king so cool that, that's awesome that both of you guys are seeing that same stuff so great uh, move into tom what are you and you weren't here last week so if, i'll open a, a little bit more here for you if you wanted to expand on your thoughts of in the beginning because unfortunately like i said you weren't able to last week definitely feel free and then uh, add in what we've kind of gone with this morning hey yeah great it's uh it's great to be back dallas um glad mike was able to join you guys last week um i did listen to the podcast and uh as usual it was it was a home run man so uh really really enjoyed it and uh but yeah i i, I think um you know one, one of the things that that i see and, and just and again i'm kind of coming from a background of just, you know, kind of knowing the Bible and knowing the narrative. I mean, the, the, the Bible is the theme is all about kingdoms. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, you know, what is God's kingdom like? And, uh, I'm, gl I'm glad you, you referenced the Daniel two, um, with Nebuchadnezzar there because yeah, it's, it's essentially, the exact same language um, described there as what you've got in Colossians in the New Testament and also in the Revelation um, chapter 
there that that you mentioned and um but yeah one of the things that i, I that i wanted to point out in daniel 2 is you know because he's talking about nebuchadnezzar's kingdom but then he lets him you know they explain hey your kingdom's going to come to an end and then there's another kingdom it's going to be an inferior one and then guess what then there's going to be another kingdom so there's it's it, we're seeing right there that that kingdom and headship and 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 the first and all of this stuff that it, it's it's all referencing back uh to to kingdom and so that that that's what really jumped out at me when you were going through these these various passages so then how do you uh see in your mind like what do you think of that now that it's transitioning into the New Testament, we're seeing that same language like in Daniel being applied to Jesus at the start of his kingdom. He's getting that declaration of prominence in the same way he is with being firstborn, in the same way that we're seeing him. He is the beginning. He is the arcade. So would you see that then uh, as an easy transition that there's no doubt that that in the beginning language is just the continuance of what we're watching then? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's, it's just a, Jesus is just a continuation of, of, of what, what came before. And, uh, now he's, he's the, uh, the preeminent one though, you know, he, he's, he's what everything in the old Testament is pointing to, um, you know, is, is, is his coming and this kingdom that is an everlasting and eternal kingdom that, that, uh, you know, he he rules and reigns even now. Yeah, so I do think that like that's a weight that can't be ignored, right? Like that's a big message, and that's what they were waiting for. So they're sitting here saying, "When's this thing going to be?" So yeah, of course, I think we've labored it, maybe took taken something that wasn't as big of a deal, but I'm glad we did because now we can move forward, and we will always have in that picture that. The point of the New Testament is the coming king and the revealing of the kingdom of heaven and who this king was that was going to be able to sit on the throne of that kingdom of heaven. So I think that's been established. And I think the, now that we've established it due to that similar language, though, we do have that awesome foundation. Now we're going to take a look at a different example, however, that also connects to in the beginning. When we read Genesis 1, there's a second part that takes place to that statement of in the beginning that is now universally, historically, will always be connected to it. God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God made, you know, God's creation. And that's where we have creation language immediately following the declaration of the in the beginning. So when we take a look at that, that pattern, not only have we kind of tracked down a little bit on the in the beginning and the nation association, but we've also uh, get this surrounded in creation language. Now, is that going to be with Jesus justice Genesis as well? Well, let's take a look. When we first start off with Jesus Genesis 1-1, we get that Rashid, God created heavens and the earth, the creation. We also see that same thing with Genesis 2-4 with Adam. And that's where we have the generations of the heavens and the earth and God created Adam and breathed into him. And we have the new uh, heavens and the earth, that new generations of the heavens and the earth, Adam. Uh, 
So similar language used at the beginning of Adam. Now, what's interesting about this idea of the heavens and the earth language, the, that new creation in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you want, go and read Isaiah. We're not going to get deep into that because I think I can detract because it's such a big topic, but I do want to hit on it is in Isaiah 65, we are typically, uh, we're familiar with the concept that there will be a promise of a new coming, new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is important for us to understand because the New Testament authors were expecting a new Genesis 1. And we got to understand that when we're reading the New Testament, like we just finished talking, the whole narrative of this new coming eternal kingdom, this new age, this new heaven and new earth that was coming, they were expecting a Genesis 1 type language expression. Jeremiah 4 told us that Jerusalem uh, was going to become unformed and void from judgment. Jeremiah 4 literally prophesied Genesis 1 over top of Israel. So Jeremiah combined with Isaiah, what we end up seeing is this picture of the coming of Genesis 1 upon Israel, a new in the beginning, a new heavens and earth, a new Rashid. And we have this powerful theme of the language that God created the heavens and the earth and the generations of Adam and a new will be coming and they will be washed away the old and we will see a new heaven and a new earth, a new Rashid, a new in the beginning. Why is this important? Because the people were waiting for this again. This is a very important thing we got to understand because this is what they were looking for. This was their hope. They were waiting for God's prophets to stand up and tell them about the new creation. Now that I've done and gone and labored that, we're going to take a look at, well, what does the people of Jesus say about this? Well, interestingly enough, we're going to go right to the book of Revelation 3.13 to get this straightforward declaration. So I'll just give you guys one second. Those who are flipping along now when we read this so this is revelation 3 13 we, we're just going to read a little bit in context to get the grammar where it says uh okay 3 13 he who has an ear to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches okay so here's the spirit speaking to the churches verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. When it says the beginning of creation, it's the arche of creation. Well, what did we just read in Colossians? It says that Jesus is the arche. Well, that's interesting because it just finished saying, the amen, the faithful and true witness, which is Jesus, the beginning, the arche of creation of God says this. Jesus is the arche, and that is being in uh, Revelation 3.14, being equated to also the beginning, the arche of the creation of God. Well, that's very important. 
because now Jesus is also not only being said to be the beginning of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and they're looking for a new heaven and earth. And Jesus is about to be the king of heaven and earth, and he is the beginning of creation. We have to keep this language in our mind. It's very important as we flip over to Galatians. Because what do we read in Galatians 6? This is very important, Galatians 6. As we listen about Jesus, who's about to inherit, who is the in the beginning of the kingdom of heaven and earth, in the beginning of heaven and earth. And what do we get, Galatians 6, 14 through 15? For neither or 14, but may it never be that I would boast, says Paul, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor is uncircumcision anything, but rather the new creation. Paul is now joining John, the author attributed to Revelation, as saying that Jesus Christ is the beginning of the new creation. And Paul says here specifically, it happened at the cross. May it never be that I would boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ, the new creation. And when we read that in light of 2 Corinthians, we're going to take a flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What do we read in chapter 5? And we're going to go down to verse 17. Therefore, and we're going to start here, um, verse 16, let's go even to 14. We'll start at 14, and we're going to read down to 17. 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. Everyone's dead. The judgment came. Everyone's dead. Everyone died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Here's that cross that he would only boast in, the new creation. And he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded that what? That uh, he died for all of us so that they who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, we now no longer recognize anyone according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer this way. Why? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. This is a very powerful statement. Why? Because this is talking about the same language that we're about to take a look with. We're going back to John's Revelation 21. And what do we see in John's Revelation 21? The description of the new heaven and earth. And what does it describe? So I'll give you all one second to flip over to Revelation 21, where we're going to put this thought together. And what do we read? In verse 21, it says, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Then we read in verse 3, And I heard a sound, a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell upon them, dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Verse 4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. For the first things have passed away. We just read in 2 Corinthians, what? It said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, if we keep reading in Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Verse 6, he says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the archaic, and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of life without cost. Very interesting because in John 1, 1, 2, it says God was in the beginning and Jesus was with him and he was with him. So God was with him in the beginning. And here we have what? It says in verse 6, I am the beginning and the end. And we have God was in the beginning. Jesus was in the beginning with him. Verse 14 in John 1, God tabernacled among them. And in John 19.30, at the end of his life, at the beginning, God came down and tabernacled among them in Jesus. John 19, Jesus up on the cross, at the end of his life, the beginning and the end. He turned and said, it is finished. Just as verse 6 said, and then he said to me, it is done. I am the RK and the end. It's a very powerful message of language being used to describe Jesus' coming in conjunction of creation language that depicts exactly the same imagery of the creation in Genesis 1. Those same language pictures are being used here of the heavens and the earth. Now, we're going to take another deep look into that as we do a comparison. But before we do, I would like to uh, get some comments from you guys to see how uh, what you think of. Because we've heard a lot of these scriptures before. A lot of this stuff isn't new. We're just putting it together in a context. And I'm going to see if I'm keeping it true, if I'm taking too many liberties, how you guys are feeling with this. Because I think... Not only do we have with that drier side, that more literal side of the beginning of the kingdom, we also see in that, you know, that luscious language of the covenantal language being used in creation motif, duplicated at the exact same degree with Jesus's representing his in the beginning of his heaven and earth kingdom as well. So we'll go uh, reverse course this time. Last time we started up in the corner, we'll go down to the bottom with Tom. you have any thoughts, Tom? Man, I got a lot of thoughts, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's the, yeah, it, it is the, you know, 
the the same same language, the same uh, you know words that we're seeing uh, to describe Jesus as we are when we're looking at at the Old Testament and the establishing of the the kingdom. I mean, it's a little bit different, obviously, here in in Revelation twenty one, where where Jesus. You know, he says he's not only the beginning, but he's also also the end. Um, so but, you know, like we looked at with some of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, obviously there's other kingdoms and those kingdoms came to an end. And, you know, I guess well, as we as we were kind of going through this, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, Jesus's life and as he's living you know, on the earth and people are expecting him to bring about this kingdom really to, to overthrow the, the Roman authority or the Roman oppression. Um, and, and they, you know, they didn't understand exactly what his, his true role was. And so, uh, you know, that, that's something else that, as we were going through the various scriptures, I'm like, yeah, man, these guys didn't, they didn't even understand this. And so it's, uh, I mean, we have a little bit of a benefit by, by looking back, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we may have been in the same exact boat, you know, looking at it going like, Hey man, when's, when's this kingdom coming? <laughs> so I don't know. That's, that's what stood out to me. No, I think you make an interesting point there because Jesus has to go out of his way many times to say, you guys don't know what the kingdom is. And then he has to reiterate it in different types of uh, stories. You know, the kingdom of heaven isn't like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And due to the religion, I agree, there was such a loss of reality that the, that being taught of what the scriptures actually said had become so polluted and diluted with all the different ideas that they married into. So I think that's a great point because that consistency of that language going from the old covenant wordings was specifically used to keep that together. And I think that's, that's a really interesting point because now it actually brings more significance to what we're looking at because it's purposefully done. It was an accidental. They had to make those connections. They had to realize they had to come to grips and say, this is what it's talking about. So it actually becomes a confirmation that we're seeing it and understanding it in the way they're presenting it. So no, that was a great point. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Just one other thing. I mean, like you said, uh, Jesus, you know, he, he spoke to them in parables and, and he described what, what the kingdom was like. And, and, you know, again, some people understood and then there were others that didn't understand. So. Absolutely. We're going to move on to Mr. Leith now and give you an opportunity. What are you uh, seeing there as we compare not only the in the beginning statement that we see in Genesis 1 being duplicated throughout, giving us that kingdom picture, but now also seeing that duplicating of a new creation language with the coming of that Jesus kingdom as well. So, we're yeah, a lot of examples of what it means to conquer a new kingdom. Um, and what it looks like and what it means to be chief and what it means to, and what beginning means and um, the beginning of a kingdom. So we're seeing it through old and then we're seeing it in the new Testament and we're even seeing it in revelation. 
And that's kind of exciting. I do agree with Tom that there might have been some confusion about what that kingdom was supposed to look like. However, I don't believe that there was confusion that um, that they that they weren't expecting a new kingdom because it was all written um, in in their scriptures that it was on its way. And so I agree with Tom on that, that it's like, oh, no, we've been hoping for this kingdom. But and I did I do think that Jesus had to re-explain what that that new kingdom would look like either way. Um all the same use, um, language is being used to describe new kingdom in all of these verses. And I have them all written down, so I'm excited about going deeper further. But it, it, what it does do is it causes me to have to reevaluate Genesis 1. What, the, what is that doing for an effect there? Because I'll tell you from my effect on Genesis 1, it really started to help me see that interesting language of in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We see Adam being called the heaven and the earth. We see the kingdom being called the kingdom of heaven and earth. And then that's what we see being applied to Jesus and him being a new creation at the beginning of the new creation of God. Same kind of stuff there. Uh, how is that impacting you with that Genesis 1 thing? Well, it's it's already at the point now where you know, the Genesis one thing is I'm looking at it as a beginning of a new kingdom. And so what I, what, what needs to happen in my brain is for it to really solidify because when you're brought up your whole life, learning that Genesis one is obviously a physical creation, a beginning of new physical creation. That's the, that's the kind of stuff that, um, that the mind battles with. I'm not battling with it anymore. I'm uh, what I'm doing is is gathering more information to solidify it, and so that's why this study is really helping me a lot. It's just solidifying it, the 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 transfer that's happening in my head from physical creation to um, kingdom creation. No, I think that's great. That no, I, I'm right there with you because I think that's a a reality stepping stone that we have to start going well. This is how I used to see it. And what we can't do is say, what does this do and how can I apply it to how I see it? Because this is very different. And I think uh, I relate to you in that you have to give, you can't blend what you used to think with this. This is a setting aside and starting anew with a, a totally fresh one. And I think that's a really good way of how you said it is letting the Bible now give you data and let that data fill in all those pieces. I, I think it was really good. So thank you. Yeah, uh, and one and one more thing um, is that this this new this new in the beginning type language. If it's so, if if each verse that we've been going over and all these examples of in the beginning are meaning the beginning of a kingdom, there can't be, you know, all these. Uh, it can't be used for two different meanings. Is what I'm saying. It can't be used for a, a different explanation of a different event and that's 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 where it's coming to a head no absolutely that's a really good point and, and i think that's bang on too and yeah we'll keep that in mind and keep that as a thought because when we take a look at this there is a theme that is progressing right that genesis one in the beginning god created heavens and the earth genesis 2 4 in the beginning of the generations of the heaven and the earth adam Isaiah, a new heaven and a new earth coming, Mark 1, 
kingdom of heaven is at hand in the beginning of the kingdom of that you know of heaven that is at hand then paul and john and the new creation is here and no absolutely and that's why I'm going to lean here now to you, Steve. Now that we're looking in comparison not only to that more legal, just kingdom being established, but seeing it also duplicated in that more metaphorical, that more colorful language, that motif of creation is also duplicated in the coming of Jesus. How are you seeing that? Obviously, I know it's reinforcing it, but it's uh, it, I'm seeing it to such a different degree because now we have two very good, themes being duplicated in that Rashith or K combo. Yeah. I mean, the more I listen to this, the more it's like, it's just really masterful how you're doing this. You're literally, I always forget because I'm new to this is how like time-wise, how far apart these verses and chapters and everything are. It's like, okay, we're tying this in the old Testament to this in the new Testament. So there's obviously this connection. So, Yes, we're we're proving it that way. But my question is, there's like a thread going between all these things. So is there a time, now I can't answer this because I don't know the Bible well enough, but you have done all this, so you, you, you're way deeper. So you're in it, you're in the weeds. Do you ever run into something that's like, okay, wait a second, this doesn't fit. Like this church chapter over here, it didn't work. Do you just skip it? Or do you just say, oh, I'm not looking at it right? Or does it just not exist? I'm curious. When I personally run into something that throws a fork in the road, I go, okay, I don't understand something here. This then becomes a standalone issue that needs to be dealt with. I think one of the most important things that we have to look at when we go through this is consistency. If the message isn't the same all the way through, if for some reason you start having a disagreement between your idea and that doctrine and that message, and it doesn't line up, then you are now, and I love how you brought it up, is we've been doing this all the way through with all these time periods in between. So the people who were writing and connecting these things, they understood it. We have to keep that level of consistency so that we can keep that same line. So I, and that's a great question, I love that you put it, have to take that probably be the one of the most serious things out of all of this is, and that's why I'm taking this so slowly, and we're going word by word, is because we can't overestimate the importance of the study that we're doing at this moment. And we can't simply just look at something that sticks out as a sore thumb and say, eh, you know, it's, it is there, I guess. And I guess we'll just leave it. We, we can't do that. that. That's what tradition has caused problem after problem and wars over. And we can't just do that. That would undermine everything. So that's where I'm at as a position on research is, if you find something that sticks out, that then must then become the focus because you either understand it wrong or there's something wrong because it should blend. And that is, I think, so far what makes what we've done so powerful is it is so consistent and it's done through so many different ways. But again, remaining as a building block, it, it doesn't really come down. So is that what you're kind of talking about? Or did I take it somewhere that maybe you didn't intend? No, no, that's, that was perfect because, you know, over my life, you know, you can always tell the shysters, you know, the little, you know, the people that are just selling you, you know, nonsense. Um, 
And it's like their answers to those type questions are are revealing because it's like, yeah, that's that's the correct answer. What you just said is right. If you find something, you don't put it off to the side because that's what a lot of people do. They're like, oh, I'll just skip that and just won't get around. You know, I don't know the Bible well enough to be like, oh, well, over here in Mark, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it talked about it. I, I don't even know if it exists, honestly. So that's good to hear that you at least have that mentality that if you do run into it, you're going to, you know, face it head on and not just kind of gloss over it and ignore it. So that's cool. Yeah, the thing I would attain that to as far as uh, asking or putting it through as a concept is intellectual honesty. And that's what we have to be. We have to, if we're going to be trying to go for truth, we have to be authentic. And that involves intellectual honesty. If you deceive yourself, you've given up the search for truth anyway. So absolutely. So uh, that's, we gave a quick response there with everybody. We're actually pushing up against an hour already. That went really fast, to tell you the truth. Yeah, that went super fast. <laughs> I, really, I guess we did cover two topics in that looking at Jesus and filling out that language a little bit of the kingdom here, where we, we were already comfortable with that coming together of the in the beginning of the gospel or in the reign of Jesus Christ and his time has come, the kingdom is up just as it does with Jeremiah. And then today we brought it a lot more forward with that language of Jesus being the head, being really associated with the actual definition of RK being named in Colossians 1, uh, 18, Jesus is the RK, the head and chief preeminent made by king by God. So we have all those big key words and we saw how his kingdom, kingdom of heaven, and earth was also established with the same language with Daniel, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar having that same power, strength, glory, king of kings title, head of gold. And God himself was head over all. And we see that again, that kingdom language to establish Jesus. So we did go over that. And we did also attach with a new example of how the in the beginning, the Rashid and Archaic impact, that's kingdom picture of Jesus also with that motif of creation language itself of heaven and earth here as we look at genesis 1 compared that to adam's creation and that as name association to heaven and earth isaiah's association to a new one so that the new testament people were looking forward to a new creation and a new kingdom simultaneously being created at the same time in which the apostles all themselves uh, spoke about uh, we see that in the letters we also see so Paul talks about it directly calling Jesus the new creation we have John talking about it calling Jesus the new creation and what we're going to be doing in the next uh, conversation is we're going to take a look at a direct example the third example as we compare the last and the final uh, aspect of what we're going to call uh, the first aspect of in the beginning for Rashith. We're just examining how does in the beginning, how should we read in the beginning? When we sit down to read Genesis 1 and it says in the beginning, what are we thinking? We should be carrying all this stuff that we just covered. And next week, we're going to start one more conversation and give one more example of information of in the beginning and that phrasing of Rashith to Archaic and what we have to keep in our mind if we want to understand what does the Bible say 
when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So uh, I love the thing that we do where at the last two minutes, we give everybody you know, their breath here, kind of air this out. This is a big topic, and I think it's a way bigger topic than most people would, first of all, even be aware of, but mostly even realize they should give something like that, that this much time. We've now addressed the first aspect of in the beginning, the aspect of the word Rashid, the very first word of the Bible, which is translated in the beginning. And next episode, we're going to now end that idea of in the beginning. And then we're going to introduce an entire new aspect of how this word is used in the Bible. So, just keep that all in mind as we move forward, that we're going to keep developing this because in order to understand the Bible, we need to understand what the Bible says and use what it says amongst itself. So what do you guys think today? Uh, I know we kind of just went through it, kind of didn't realize that we were already an hour in. But if you did want to summarize this introduction to in the beginning and this creation language, all that kind of thing. Uh, the totality of it. Where are you at now? I'll go back to you, Mr. Tom. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I, I tell you, man, it, it's uh, you know you see these, you see this pattern, you see this theme. Uh, I just kind of laughing uh, before before you uh, called on me because it's like you know I think back to looking at Genesis one and. Um, you know, looking at that from a uh, physical creation versus really what is going on, which, I mean, just with what we've seen, it's it's obviously the in the beginning, in the beginning of what, what, what is, what is this beginning? I know you guys talked about it last week, and um, you know, it 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 kind of makes me feel dumb <laughs> forever, even just. Uh, taking it for what it is on the surface of like a physical creation when that, when there's so much more to what's going on. And uh, so I'm really appreciative of the, the work that you're doing and, and diving in here and, and really making us think and, and look at these things um, at a much deeper level. And uh, I mean, the, the patterns are clear. They're evident. I mean, it's, it, it can't be denied that, um, this theme of, of kingdoms and headship and, and everything is that that's what we're looking at when we're, when we're talking about in the beginning. So loving it. Right on. So I'm glad uh, that's affecting you. You're seeing things in a new way and it's challenging you. And it almost sounds like to me that you might actually be convinced and have now kind of, now, you correct me if I'm wrong or not here, but are you actually in the position of being convinced away from physical creation then? Are you still battering around? Where are you at your position right now? I'm just interested as uh, you kind of made that comment. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there's a uh, uh, physical creation has taken place, um, but is Genesis 1 talking about and, and the following chapters actually talking about physical creation? And to me, it's clear now. No, it's not. That's not what he's talking about. It's it's talking about uh, a kingdom and, and you know 
this kingdom is beginning here. And so, and then we carry it over. We go to the New Testament. You know, here's here's Jesus, and here's here's this kingdom, and this is the coming kingdom that that the Old Testament was pointing to. So, yep, I'm I'm there, man. All right. Well, I'm just going to apologize to everybody else who's listening. If I if you don't want your traditions challenged, then maybe this podcast. Because, you know, Tom, again, is that he's had a lot of life, a lot of study. So I really appreciate the ability to look at this content and say it's compelling. It's in fact, it's so compelling. And this isn't magic because this is what's cool is I'm not doing anything. I don't have this isn't like Dallas's doctorate. As far as I can tell, all I'm doing is just reading it in context. So that's what's so cool about this is in the same way that what all this work that it is that you know, I'm doing you also seeing it is a great validation for me because I think that's, it goes the same way for me with you seeing it. Well, yeah. And Dallas, I, you know, and I, I know I've mentioned this before. I'm, I'm come from the reformed tradition and background. And one of the things that, that we would pride ourselves on, right. Is scripture interpreting scripture and, and that's really what we're doing. I mean, we're you're looking at you're pulling these scriptures and uh, the the same message and the same theme is evident throughout all all of these scriptures. So it's bang on, man. All right. Well, let's move around the clock here. We'll go to Steve and ask Mr. Steve. So. Uh, we're in this position. You didn't have a religious foundation. It sounds like to me, your comments throughout this conversation, uh, the past two hours now, that you don't see any conflict in the idea of, yeah, okay, the universe perspective, I can see why other people see it. But now you can also see why and where I'm coming from, I see it completely as a kingdom establishment document. And as we continue on, I think it's actually going to reinforce that even more. I know you are more from the position where I am. I was born and raised without a church. So I'm okay with letting some of those, what most people consider to be foundational views, like the creation view. Where are you looking at? Because obviously now you've heard you know, quite a bit on both sides. Yeah, I'm not bothered at all. Like you said, uh, it, it, it just me, it, it simplifies it more to... Like if you're talking about universe, all this stuff, it just seems too complicated. Like it, it, this seems simple, like for us humans, like, yeah, this is, this is more in line with what I would think this should be. The, the, the annoying thing to this whole podcast, that's really just frustrating me now is because I sit there and said, I'm going to read this Bible. And now I've gotten to the new Testament and now we're doing this. And I'm like, well, crap, I missed all this. I didn't see any of this. And now I'm like, now I got to go back and read and t actually take notes maybe because now I'm going to read it completely different again. And it's just like, goodness, you know, in 10 years, am I going to read the Bible again and just have a whole nother? Like, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, just make my mind work just thinking about it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's actually what I consider to be part of the joy of the Bible is there's this weirdness to it that makes it unique. Like people say this, that the Bible is a different book. And it is. It, it, there's something different about it. It just keep as the human who studies, it evolves. 
what they understand also evolves and changes as their life reflects through and back and forth with it. And yeah, it's, it's a very interesting because no matter how many times I could read Moby Dick, it, at the end of the day, it's still the same story. I've read Genesis 1, I don't know how many times, and now my views have changed. I don't know how many times. I still remember all my previous views because they still all made sense from those perspectives. I've never in my life met a piece of literature that allows as many perspectives as there are those who are looking. So, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. And so, Letha, I'll uh, look at you. We're, we're at an interesting point in this study now. Uh, we're going to be moving on to a, uh, one more example, if you can believe it, of another way Genesis 1 is duplicated in the in the beginning sentiment in the New Testament. How are you feeling with everything? You're the one here. Tom has that Masters of Divinity. Steve's, you know, very fresh to this. You're this lifer. Now you're the, right? You're lifer, sorry. <laughs> I, I, well done. I, I, I actually didn't realize that was coming up. That pun was actually not intended. No, and but, you're, you're just making more um, more parallels with wording. <laughs> <laughs> but as now you're looking at this from such a longer perspective in the sense of you have a very good attachment to the universal perspective now you've really heard a really good you know presentation of information that does show a very good different argument i think where are you now balancing between the two like are you still th between the two have you decided what position you're in where are you coming from well, you know, at the beginning of this, uh, <clears throat> at the beginning of this project, um, I, I really wanted to come into it with an open mind. And, you know, an open mind is such a cute phrase, but it's very difficult to keep an open mind when you're challenging traditions. Um, I'm at the point now where I don't really care what I think anymore about what, how I read the scripture, because I'm just a, a, a guy that's, um, you know, has some built in protections and um, all kinds of things that keep me from learning. So I'm just a human guy. But what you're doing is providing tools where we can start using them and we can uh, uh, use tools to, again, let scripture interpret scripture. And it's becoming more clear. And so on this part, you know, on this in this session, you know, in the beginning, you, we're talking about new heads of uh, new kings, new heavens and earth, which I'm so glad you brought that in. New heavens and new earth. We're going to start playing with that. Um, new creation, new kingdom. We got 10 or 12 authors, you know, spread over 1,500 years, all speaking the same language. Um, and I think what, what, you're, what you're doing with this is you're, it's a, you know, it's kind of a very systematic approach to kind of understanding a major, major, the major, major message that that, that scripture is trying to share with us. And, and yes, there are gnarly questions that pop up of like, how does this affect my life? How does it affect my daily? How does this affect my, my, my current future beliefs? And, um, and, and I think this is why I need to do this and be part of this because I want to have a better understanding. And, and I think it requires a lot of patience and, and diligence. And so, you know, like reading through, um, the uh, reading through parts of the Bible that seem mundane. It's like you've thrown a lot of these verses out and it's, and it's a lot. It seems like a lot at first, but all of these verses are, are, are showing us 
what is it that in the beginning means new creation, new heaven and earth, new kingdom. And so I think we need to be patient and diligent and and to coming to understanding of what, what the Bible is actually trying to present to us. And so, you know, to sum it up, I, you know, I feel like I need to, it's, it's responsible for me to set aside my 2023, 45 year old male, white male mindset and beliefs um, to really absorb biblical wording and, and shoot to find out what did these words actually mean to the original audience. And that's all I got to say. I guess I got to hit my unmute button if I want to continue speaking. No, that, that that's absolutely right. I think that's what we've got to sit down and be honest with ourselves. And it's a battle. And we're challenging the traditions of men. And as much as I think for Steve and I, because of our perspective and our history, is we have such freedom to allow change of our perspective, where with a religious perspective, uh, especially from youth, it becomes a battle because we've become so assumed to believing things are one way that we don't even consider or think that what we are thinking is a belief that we just follow what? Yeah, it's what it says, but what? What are you talking about? Like, that's why are you even bringing that up? That doesn't even make sense. Why would you question that? So, we are touching on some very, very powerful statements and very different perspectives. And I think that's a big deal because, like you said, how is this going to change the way I, I look at the Bible? This is going to completely change the way and the message of everything that the Bible has already said that most people will have hear, heard then. If we go and say Genesis 1 is not talking about physical human creation, and most humans reading this come reading that this is how God made humans, they're, they're not even going to have a, a similar place to have a conversation. So to those thinking uh, along with us going through this as we challenge these traditions and we try to put and allow the significance to these things, which they are, and we also try to move forward in a fast enough pace so that we can keep it interesting, keep ourselves growing. I want to thank you that you've come this far and that you're looking forward to what we're going to be getting into next time because these conversations, I think, are absolutely necessary for anybody who has any love, respect, or just drive to try to figure out what this book is talking about. It is one of the most important books to the history and the current present time of mankind. And it goes so much beyond these desert people. So this we are taking serious, but we're not going to make it so that we miss it. We, we don't want to. And so we're going slow. We're taking it serious. And I hope that you've enjoyed it so far. As we continue forward, I'll give it a little bit of a sneak peek. If uh, you want to join us next week and have an idea of where we're going and want to be up on it, we're going to be comparing John 1, 1 through 5, and Genesis 1, 1 through 5 for the third example of these creation templates. So again, thank you very much. Uh, you listeners are greatly appreciated, and we hope you're benefiting from this talk as much as we are. Uh, uh, thank you guys again, Steve, Leith, and Tom. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here without you guys, and I'm pretty sure this uh, wouldn't be as near as much fun to listen to. So I greatly appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys all listening in on the podcast. Wherever you are, may God bless you. We will see you next time. Peace.